Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, man, it's good to be back. I love you guys. Yeah, thanks, Mom. I'm just kidding. Hey, um, Elena is leaving us. Yeah, she's going to college. You know, she has so graced our church with her gifts, and I would like for us to grace her with our prayers of appreciation and protection and provision, and um, pray that God encourages her to quit and come back. (laughs) Now, let's pray together over her. Our Father, I know that you're not done using her yet today, and I know that she is your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do great things that you've prepared in advance for her to do, and we pray that you go ahead of her, that you just clear a path for her in college. She goes up to Minneapolis, that you create new friendships, that you build relationships with other students and professors, that you help her in her studies, Lord, and that you reveal the direction of her life. We are so grateful that you've given her to us, and we ask your favor on her and that you bring her back to minister to us again and again. But we just wanted to honor her and thank you for her, Lord, and ask that you favor her and bless her in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you. Man, the hardest thing about study break is being away from you guys. Oh, but I love you. Um, I'm grateful for the guys that taught for me while I was away, though I think my son Wilkie is the best looking of them all. Uh, Extra points. Um, Maybe you don't know what a study break is. This is what mine looked like. Yeah, books, 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 books. A study break is when I, probably since... Uh, Maybe for the last 19, 20 years, our leadership has encouraged me to get away for a month, five weeks, and be quiet in the presence of God and study His Word and look for uh, different authors presenting different angles on His Word and try to capture a fresh vision for our church. And so that's what I've been up to. And this summer, I did it in Paris, (laughs) Illinois. Yeah. I'm poor. No, this is a picture of uh, my outdoor office, my mom and dad's house. My dad is 91, my uh, mom is 87, so I just felt like I should be there with them. And so uh, they respected my time to be uh, hours and hours reading books, and um, my dad didn't care. He's watching Westerns all day anyway, but we would take our meals together. And one of the most exciting things that happened to me, I bumped into a guy, lives on the same lake that my mom and dad do in Paris, and he was an old classmate from high school, maybe a year younger than me. Um, I didn't really know him that well in high school, but because he lives on the lake, our paths crossed, loved the talks we had, but I know that my friend and his wife are far from God. So every day, I'd take out the prayer uh, guide from our church, and I would, man, this thing is awesome, and I'd pray these prayers 
I know our question to you is, who's your one that you're praying for to invite to our big Daryl Strawberry weekend? But I've got like a half a dozen, so it's like, who's my six? Now that I've included the two of them, and I, it was just a powerful experience for me. In fact, um, I know that we've got names up here of all the people that we're praying for. Um, if you haven't grabbed a guide, you can get one on the way out. One of these bookmarks, you can pick one of these up, write the name of your friend or family member that you would love to see come to church with you, and just rip the two apart. It's perforated. One you keep to use with your prayer journal to pray every day for those you love. This Take, to our, take the guest central with the name, and um, along with the names of those I love, we just put them right up here. Oh, ouch. Just kidding. In fact, I'd like to pray over these names, if you would, with me right now. Our staff prays over them every week. You pray over your one um, each day, and each week your staff will come alongside these. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we call down your goodness on every person named here. We know that you desire for every single human being to come to you to discover your love and your peace, and your joy, and the superabundant life of Jesus. And so we pray for all these folks, even now, right now, by this prayer of faith, that your Holy Spirit is coming to give them comfort and to turn their hearts toward you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, uh, something cool happened. I uh, Suppose you like my Moonburger t-shirt. Check out the back. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. I look better from the back anyway. Um, I was talking to my friend from high school, and he was all excited about uh, doing moonshine, Illinois. And he told me about going to Moonshine, Illinois, and getting a moonburger. And he was so fired up, he and his wife, I decided I wanted to go to Moonshine. I wanted to get a moonburger. And uh, this, it's one building, unless you count the outhouse, and then there are two buildings in Moonshine, Illinois. And two people, Moonshine, Illinois, population two. And the two people live over the store. In the store, that's where they fry up these plate-sized burgers, big, gigantic, juicy burgers. Oh, my gosh. Of course, on me, it would probably be more appropriate if these words, since I'm not built like Ray, if these words were like right here. <laughs> There's my moon burger. But anyway, he tells me, about it, and I get all worked up and excited, and I go home to my mom and dad. I said, hey, mom, um, my friend just told me about this place in Moonshine, Illinois, and this place where they make burgers. He said it closes like at 12.30 noon, so you got to get there early because it's crowded, crowded, crowded. And uh, my mom and dad are like, oh, we're going. We'll go tomorrow. We've been there. Some friends told us about it. They took us. We want to take you. My dad bought my shirt. I'm cheap. So anyway, uh, we go, and oh my God, place was packed. Couldn't hardly find a place to park. It's one building at the crossroads of two country roads out in the middle of the heck of nowhere. 
It was a 40-minute drive from our home in Paris out way, 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 out in the country to find this place. Finally get a parking place, go in, stand in line. There's already people sitting all around the place waiting for theirs. And I see the other things on the menu are like potato salad and macaroni salad and potato chips. And I'm a diabetic, so I can't eat any of that stuff. So I figured, well, instead of just getting one moon burger, I'll get a double cheese moon burger. Here's a picture. I think I got a picture. Ah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> that thing was about like, this would feed a third world country. And I ate it all but one bite, which I put in an envelope and mailed to China because my mom says kids there need food. Um, at least she told me that growing up. Clean your plate. Um, it was amazing. Here's a picture of Deb and I there in moonshine. I know our child is ugly. Um, <laughs> here's a picture of my mom and dad after their moon burger and their ugly grandchild. Um, but we, we had the greatest time. And maybe you wonder, how the heck does that happen? I mean, uh, a town with only two people out in the middle of the heck of nowhere. I mean, you got to inconvenience yourself to get there. Like, forget about GPS. Why do all those people go day after day? Those guys do business after business after business after business, hauling in the money, dishing up the burgers. How does that happen? How do people find them? They find them by word of mouth. And that's how the kingdom of God grows, by word of mouth. We have friends, we have neighbors, we have co-workers, we have family members, and we want them to know the good thing that Jesus is doing in this place and in our lives. And so my mouth talks to God over my friends, and I talk to my friends about my God, and you talk to God about your friends and family, and, and ask God to speak to them, and you speak to your friends and family about God. That's how the kingdom grows. In fact, on September 8th, it's a Sunday night, in this room, we will have a blowout prayer and praise service. All of our campuses, Janesville, McChesney Park, our inner city campus, our Spanish-speaking campus, we're all coming together to call on the name of Jesus in behalf of those we love and, in, and praying over Daryl Strawberry as he comes to give his word-of-mouth testimony over how God has transformed his life and rescued him from addiction. So it's, it's going to be an awesome, awesome experience. But when I was sitting down on the landing by the lake, I was asking Jesus a question. As I was going through this prayer guide for my friends, I said, Jesus, if you had just, I mean, if there was just one, Jesus, if there was just one, who would be your one? Jesus, Lord, who's your one? And I've come back this weekend and next weekend to, Share with you what was shared with me. So, are you ready to get in the Word of God? Okay, if you got your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 9, verse 1 on your phone or other devices. Um, maybe you're playing solitaire, but just pretend like you're in the Word of God with us, okay? Here we go together. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind 
from birth. Now, two things jump out of me here. One is the fact that Jesus, you got to know this about Jesus. Jesus, God, you'll see this revealed in this story, but Jesus sees, you know, the Bible gives him a name, El Roy. It means the God who sees. Now, while I was going around greeting you guys, many of you would share with me a painful struggle going on in your life right now or in the life of someone you love. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus sees. He sees the struggle, and he is moved with compassion and mercy towards you or those you love. I mean, he sees this man who cannot see. He sees this man who has never seen anything in his whole life. This man was born blind. He came out of the womb without a sense of sight. All he's known is uh, darkness. His destiny is just the narrow constraints of darkness. And that day, Jesus healed people who had become blind. They weren't blind. For whatever reason, they became blind, and he restored their sight. There were other people who, for whatever reason, had become blind, and maybe a doctor. Um, But they restored. They received their sight again, but never in the history of the world had anyone ever been born blind and received their sight. Never had Jesus ever evidenced his godness by healing someone born blind. So, even I think better than the fact that Jesus sees, he's the God who sees, that Jesus is passing by. He is a God on the move. When you feel the pain of your impossibility, know this. Your Jesus is passing in close proximity. This is the Jesus who by a word can speak into your life and transform everything. He can take the ugliness and bring out a beauty. He can take the traumatic trouble and give you triumph over it. That's this Jesus. Now, I'll tell you, what will handcuff Jesus, though he is God in the flesh, I'll tell you what, though he is exalted at this moment to the right hand of God, though he is passing in close proximity to your life, longing to do the miraculous, longing to work a wonder in your life, I'll tell you what will handcuff Jesus so he can do nothing, not for you, not for me, not for anybody. It's when we ask the question, Why? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to the person I love? Why did this happen right now? What's up, God? Why? Why? The question why will drive you crazy. The question why will increase your fear. The question why will increase your worry. The question why will increase your anxiety. The question why is pointless. The question that unleashes the power of God in your life is the question, what? God's going to do something good. What do you think it's going to be? God's going to find a way through this storm, through this difficulty. What do you think he's going to do this time? The question, what, clings to all the thousands of promises in God's Word. It says, I wonder what promise he'll address this time? Maybe like Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been according to his, been called according to his purpose. The question, what is this? I know God can work to my good. 
What am I doing to align my life with his purpose? The, the question why tends to want to blame God. The question why just makes things worse. The question what always frees Jesus to make things better. In fact, the closest followers of Jesus, they were laying this out for Jesus. They were asking the question why. Check it out. Jesus is passing by. They're passing with him. This man bore blind, and they asked Jesus, teacher, who sinned, this man or his, wait a minute, how could this guy, if he's born blind, how could he sin in the womb? Did he like kick his mom in the kidney? This man or his parents said he was born blind. They're asking, why? They're not asking, oh, I wonder what God's going to do. I wonder what miracle's going to happen. I wonder, they say it's absolutely impossible, but our Jesus is the Jesus of the unprecedented, the unbelievable, the impossible. That's our Jesus. I wonder what he's going to do. And Jesus kind of shakes his head. He's like, you guys are just making matters worse. You know they're treating the blind guy like he's just a tree stump. I mean, he's blind, but he can hear. They're talking about him like he's nothing. Who sinned him or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus said, you guys are asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect. Why doesn't work? It makes matters worse. Fight the temptation to ask why. What's Jesus say? Look instead for what? Look instead for what God can do. Now, just imagine the scenario with me a second. Uh, the man, the blind man, I, I've seen this often when we go to Israel. He's seated with his back for support against a stone wall. He has his feet drawn in under him. He's sitting cross-legged to keep his legs out of the hustle and bustle of the hectic crowd. His head's like on a swivel, trying to separate the sounds that are all around him. He, I mean, he, he can hear everything. He can't see anything, but he hears everything. And he senses. He senses. And his head turns toward Jesus as Jesus kneels down beside him. The disciples huddle in close. What's going to happen? Jesus said, check out what God's going to do. What's God going to do? Oh, my gosh, we've never seen anything like this. What's God going to do? And here's what Jesus does. He says, while I am. Now, that's God's name in the Hebrew, Yahweh, in the Greek, Egoemi. It's the name God gave himself, and it's his name forever. Jesus is saying, and this blind man gets it. He's a Jewish man. He knows that this is the name of God, the name God gave to himself. I am. Jesus is saying, while I am God in the world, I am God, the light of the world. And in this man's mind, this is a Jewish man. In fact, he is 
seated cross-legged very close to the temple. Now he's not allowed in the temple because he has damaged goods. He is disabled. You're not a whole person. There's something wrong with you. You don't get into worship. I'm glad this church is just the opposite. I'm a mess. You're a mess. So we get to bring our messes to Jesus. Um, But this guy is a Jewish person. And so when Jesus says, I am God, the light of the world, while I'm in the world, I am God, the light of the world, scriptures begin to go through this guy's mind. Look what he thinks. The Lord, that's Yahweh, I am, ego me. the Lord will be your everlasting light. Well, that's, that's awesome. That gives me hope. Uh, by his light, you will walk through darkness. Well, I got to do that every day. That's cool. Uh, the Lord is my light. Yeah, praise the Lord. While I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I'm sitting in darkness. The Lord will be a light. That's, this is awesome. He's thinking all these things. In fact, you know what? This is the Lord's day. Normally, if it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, he'd be begging. Help me. Can't see. Blind from birth. Help me. It's illegal to beg on the Lord's day. This is, happens to be the Lord's day. I believe this guy is praising God in his painful situation. You know, most people, they wallow with worry in their struggle and self-pity. They complain and are negative and moan and groan about their struggles. And so God does nothing. I believe this man is praising God in his painful impossibility. And that's like an open-armed invitation to Jesus, the God of the universe, to step in and transform everything. Take the ugly. Make it beautiful. Take the difficult. Bring peace and comfort. I mean, this is the Jesus of superabundant life, superabundant joy, superabundant peace, superabundant hope, superabundant power to change things in our lives. I believe that's what's going on in this guy. And then Jesus does something um, odd. I mean, it, on some levels, it's bizarre, um, gross. Jesus spits in the dirt beside the guy. He spits in the dust. And then he takes his hands and begins to use the saliva in the dirt to make mud that he applies to the blind man's eyes. Now, why does Jesus go down in the dirt with this guy? Why does he use the dirt? Because when God created the first human being, he made Adam out of the, yeah, out of the dirt. Dirt is stinking awesome. Because God takes our dirt and gives us everlasting life. So what does he spit? What does he spit? If the dirt is a sign of his godness, God who created the earth and the sky and the sea out of nothing so that nothing's too difficult for him, Jesus said, I'm creator God doing something in the dirt. Why does he spit? Because spit is evidence of his utter humanity. He is fully God and fully man all at the same time. This makes him the only qualified candidate to die in my place, to be your substitute on the cross and take all the punishment of God due us for our sins. 
He was a willing sacrifice. I mean, he faced the same temptations we do, but he battled his way through tenaciously through every temptation and knew no sin and did no sin and stayed perfect so he could make you perfect when you give yourself to him. That's what he's saying with this lesson. It's a lesson for his followers, a lesson for this guy, and it's a lesson for us. And then Jesus, having applied the mud to his eyes, having announced himself as God, the God-man, he says to this guy, go, get ready, get ready, get ready, go wash, say wash. Yeah, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And John, just so that we don't miss it, since he knows we don't speak Hebrew. Okay, there's a little preacher humor there. <laughs> the word Siloam in Hebrew means the one sent. Now, I tell you something. Let me show you a picture of the pool of Siloam in uh, Israel. Hey, Lovia, my daughter. Remember when we went there? Every time I go to Israel, I take people to this pool of Salome, the sacred place, the one sent. Now, to tell you the truth, it's about a 15-minute walk for a sighted person to get to this place from where this blind guy is seated. You know, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus tell a disabled person? I mean, the guy could have washed his eyes, the mud off in a mud puddle. There are pools after pools after pools in the old city of Jerusalem. And Jesus tells this guy to take a 15-minute hike to get to the one that's called the one cent. Why? Did you know that 27 times in the gospel of John alone, Jesus calls himself the one cent? Jesus is sending this guy with his painful impossibility. Jesus is sending him to himself. He wants him to know that there's no magic in the mud. Even when you get to the pool, there's no magic in the water. The power for a miracle is in Jesus, the one sent by God. For God so loved the world that he gave and sent his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus says to this guy, go wash in a pool that's going to be about a 15-minute walk. So what do you think the guy does? You think the guy goes, you know, a second ago I was blind, and now I'm blind, and I got dirt in my eyes. Thanks a lot, dude. No, this guy figured, this is my chance of a lifetime. This is like I just won the lottery. This is my opportunity beyond all opportunities. This is going to absolutely transform my life. I see this guy uncrossing his legs, sticking him out in the road, pushing himself off, standing, getting his hand on that stone wall, and then making his way. And, and I think his other arm is out in front of him. Hey, clear path. Make way. I'm going to the one sent. I'm going to the one sent for my miracle. I'm going to the one sent. To be transformed, I'm going to the one sent so that my struggle, so that my difficulty, so that my challenge will be resolved. The man went. It's what Scripture said, pure and simple. He obeyed. The man went and washed. That word is everything. This is the hinge that everything turns on in this story, the man went and washed and came home seen. 
Can, can you see this guy? He gets to the picture of that pool I showed you, and he smells the water, and desperately and humbly, he gets down on his hands and knees, and he crawls, finds the edge of the pool, dips a hand down in the water, dips both hands down in the water. He scrubs the mud off of his eyes, and he's like, okay, do I dare open my eyes? He opens his eyes. <laughs> First sensation is a stunning brightness, and then crystal clarity. He has a focus on drops of water falling from his face. First thing he sees, making little splashes in the pool, and, and then he sees his face. He looks up and sees people. I can see. He looks, tilts his head up, and, and, and sees clouds floating across a, a sunlit blue sky, and he sees birds in flight, and uh, sees a butterfly flutter down and settle on the surface of the water, all because he obeyed. This, this is the lesson that Jesus is teaching. Yes, he wants us to know that he is fully God, using dirt. Yes, he wants us to know that he is fully human. He is God in the flesh. He came to be with us. He came to be one of us. He came to be for us. But we are able to appropriate the supernatural compassion of God and hope of God and peace of God and power of God as we obey. You got painful struggles in your finances? Then obey what God says to do about your finances. You got painful struggles in your emotions? Do what God's word says to do when you have emotional struggle. You got struggles in your marriage? Do what God says to do in your marriage. You got struggles in your parenting? Do what God's word, because when you are obedient, this guy was obedient and he came home seen. Now, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to understand that Jesus is giving this guy and his followers a picture of baptism because that is the pool of cleansing. That is the pool of healing. That's the pool that cleanses us of all guilt and shame. That's the pool that wipes away every sense of, of shame, uh, that forgives all of our sin. That's the pool where we get healed from the inside out, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally. I love the way the Apostle Paul writes it. He says, this is what baptism into the life of Jesus means. You see, Jesus wanted this guy to get it. It's, it, it's not the water. It's Jesus. It's not the mud. It's Jesus. Put your mess in the hands of Jesus, and he turns it into a miracle. But it's not the mud, and it's not the water. It's Jesus that saves. So, here's the deal. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Check this out. Each of us is raised up into a light filled world by our Father so that we can, say can. Yeah, you don't have to, but you can. You might neglect to, but you can. You might refuse to, but you can. You, when you come up out of that water now, like never before, you can, if you will, see where we are going in this new grace-dominated life. 
You obeyed Jesus in baptism, and now with new eyes, you can see things in God's Word you never saw before. And every time you read, you can read it again and again, and every time you see something new because you see it with new eyes. A new light is thrown on your marriage, and you see it like you never. A new light is thrown on a friendship, and you see it like never before. A new light is thrown on your workplace, and you see it in a completely new dimension. A new light is thrown on your emotions, and you see them with the light of Christ. But you don't have to. There are people who've been baptized, buried under the water, come up. And they stay spiritually blind. And so they stay worried. They stay afraid. They stay anxious. Still fighting their relationships. Still read the Bible, but that's boring as a dictionary. They're blind. They see chances to serve but they're blind to the opportunity to help someone in need. So how do you know if your eyes have actually been opened to see what God is calling you to see? I can only explain this by telling you a prayer that I pray for you every day. And to be honest, it started out as a selfish prayer. Every day I get out of my knees, bow before God humbly, and I began by praying this for me. Father, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation that I might know you better. But then I realized, hey, Paul was praying that for the church in Ephesus. I could pray it for my church. And so now every day I pray that for you. Give every single heart and every single home that makes up Central Christian all of our campuses the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. All we care about is knowing you and knowing you with all that we are. And then the, the prayer goes on. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you see hope. You know that your eyes have been opened spiritually. When you see hope in every situation, you see a trouble and you see the hope in the trouble. You feel pain, but you see the hope in the pain. You see a struggle, but you see hope in the struggle. You, you see a, a painful impossibility, but you see hope because God puts hope in every struggle. God puts hope in every difficulty. God puts hope in every painful impossibility. And when you can see with spiritual eyes, you you always see the hope, and you never ask why. You ask what. I wonder what God's going to do now. I know that he's a work to my good. I don't know what he's going to get done. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know my God's going to do something good. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.